Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO podcast brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Today's guest is Lucas Patchett, CEO of Orange Sky. He and his good friend Nick Marchese co-founded this charity that is dedicated to a simple service. They provide an opportunity for Australians doing it tough to connect through a regular laundry and shower. Although still in their 20s, they've achieved more in their life than many 60-year-olds. Some of these things include being jointly awarded Young Australian of the Year in 2016, an Order of Australia in 2020, and they now oversee a charity that has 50 full-time employees and more than 3,000 volunteers. As you'll hear, it hasn't always been easy, and they've needed lots of resilience to try new things, fail, learn, and grow. One of their mantras in the early days was to say yes to everything, and this served them well. Lucas also outlines a simple thing we can all do when we encounter a homeless person on the street. He's achieved a huge amount after less than 10 years in the workforce, and there's lots for us all to learn here. Enjoy. It's a real privilege to welcome Lucas Patchett to The Caring CEO. Welcome, Lucas. Thanks for having me. Lucas, you're the founder of Orange Sky, which incorporates, you know, running a a not-for-profit as well as volunteers. So what does care in the workplace mean to you? I think care is such a broad and and varied term for us at Orange Sky. It applies for our volunteers who are out on the streets providing, you know, a very caring service in terms of providing washing and showers, but most importantly, conversation um, for, for people who are doing it tough in our community. So the care that they provide um, is is evident and, and really obvious. I think then it's the care that we provide to those volunteers around when they have those tough days or when they um, have those challenging moments um, and, and how that um, we've been able to mature and grow in that space as well. And then there's obviously a care element that we have towards our donors, people that give to us, um, people that um, support us and that eventually uh, essentially enable us to do what we do. And then obviously that care between staff and, and team members as well, which um, is, is really critical for workplace culture and um, organisational commitment and resilience and, and all those sorts of things as well. So I think, yeah, I think care is, Orange Sky is essentially an organisation built on care, built on trust. And so we try and live that as best we can across everything that we do and that is all those interactions and stakeholders that make up. Um, Orange Sky. And for our listeners, could you just explain what uh, Orange Sky does for those that may not be familiar with you? Absolutely. So Orange Sky, we um, started nine years ago with the crazy idea up in Brisbane to chuck two washers, two dryers in the back of a van and start washing and drying clothes for people experiencing homelessness for, for free. And so that was where it started from. But then very quickly we evolved. We had lots of people reaching out wanting to um, help us grow and, and help in more, more communities. Um, we, we figured out that the washing was really important, but actually the conversation and connection that happened on our vans and, and sitting down on one of our orange chairs um, was the most important thing that we could do. So we branched out into showers, we branched out into remote um, First Nations health 
uh, with, with provision of our services as well. I'm also disaster recovery um, and to the point now where we've got um, just shy of 60 services across Australia and New Zealand, um, across 40, 40 different locations. We've got touch over 3,000 volunteers. Every week we're doing about 2,000 loads of washing, 150 safe hot showers, but most importantly, about 2,500 hours of conversation that, that take place. So, yeah, it's a simple idea that's kind of blossomed and grown over time and, and now thankful to, to be a part of uh, an amazing team making a big impact. It's extraordinary, you know, how your reach and impact has grown and um, full congratulations to you and your co-founder. Um, it's an amazing expansion and reach and impact. Thank you. Where did the name Orange Sky come from? Yes, Orange Sky is actually the name of the song um, by a fellow whose name is Alexi Murdoch and he talks about in his song Orange Sky helping out your brothers and sisters and, and everyone standing underneath an orange sky together. And so Nick and I, we love the song, we love the colour, we're not religiously or politically associated. So we, we put on the first hand Sudsy and, and off we went and we couldn't think of any other any other better names to be honest. So uh yeah, it sort of worked worked for us at the time and it's held held true since then. It's amazing, isn't it? Because it's it's a very memorable name. You know, I think you'd only hear it once or twice and know what it was or know what it relates to. So that's uh, you know, a, a wonderful achievement. When <laughs> it just sort of, you know, appeared um relatively easily, but it was obviously spot on and really reflected what you do. Like yourself and Nick were how old when you started this uh initiative? Twenty. Extraordinary. <laughs> and uh, how did it happen? What was the conversation between you that uh led to launching the first van and the two washing machines in there? Yeah, like I mentioned, Nick and I were best mates in high school and at, at school we actually um, volunteered on a food van that our school ran um, for, for people doing it tough. So I can remember being 15, jumping in the van, driving 2Ks from where we went to school every day and chatting to people who'd slept in the park or who, who was in crisis accommodation around that park that we went to. And and so we both had this similar experience when we were 15 um, or 16 and and that was a really formative moment for us of saying, well, why is this such a big issue in our own backyard? Just like I said, a couple of cases from where we go to school every day, there's so many people who are struggling to, to get by. So that sort of planted the seed for us, especially meeting people in those early times um, and, and hearing a bit about their story and relating them to your uncle or your mum or your granddad or, or whoever it might be. And so, yeah, that really stood with us or stuck with us. And as we sort of went into the your early 20s of I was studying full-time, Nick was working full-time and um, we sort of always talked about this idea of how could we re-engage that part of our brain and get our mates involved with what we used to do and it's such a cool way to, to give back but it wasn't also too overburdensome as, as well. So that really simple, tangible way to give back and but also really didn't want to replicate and duplicate what, what had already been happening. So yeah, Nick had sketched this idea of a couple of washing machines in the back of a truck and, and then um, I said, Mate, let's do it. Let's give it a crack. And um, and off, off we went. <laughs> what happened on that very first day? Um, well, depending on what you call our first day, we had a few false starts. So the first morning we rocked up, we'd spent a couple of weekends fitting this whole van out. We thought that, you know, the laundromat supplies company, who was generously donating the washers and dryers to us, would would build it and sort of fit everything out. But when we went to to drop the van off, they present us with two washers, two dryers in boxes still. So we were like, oh, okay, well, I guess we, we got to figure it out, which then meant sorting out the power. I was chatting to you know, a friend of a friend who was an electrician who we could help us um, thinking about water and, and, and wastewater as well and, and trying to resolve all those technical challenges. So we sort of spent a couple of weekends 
20 trips back and forth to the hardware store, picking up all the different supplies and realizing you forget something and, and heading straight back. And then we hit the streets the first morning alongside that old school food bin and then went to fire everything up. All the machines broke. We went back to the drawing board, got some new machines from the supplier, went back out again the next morning. Same thing happened again. So it had two false starts in a row. And, and so on the third morning, though, we eventually got everything working. There was a fellow by the name of Jordan who was there, who was our first wash and who was actually there on the first morning as well. Um, and he, for whatever reason, still trusts us with, it, with his only possessions in the world. And, and so it was a culmination of a, lots of failures, but eventually we got it up and running. And, and then that really set the tone for us for the future because you know, that conversation I had with Jordan, he went to school just up the road from me, studied the same degree at the same university that I was partway through studying. And so it was a, a really formative, another one of those formative conversations where you go, oh crap, like this is someone that is a future projection of me. And actually the laundry was the the way into that conversation and, and to build that connection and pretty quickly. So that sort of set the tone for, for many more washes and, and conversations to come. And did you um, envisage it just being something on the side or, or did you always think it could be a full-time passion for you? Definitely not. Like we originally thought, you know, we'll, we'll prototype this in our in a van. Nick actually owned the van. We ran a different project out of that and we sort of said, oh, this is a better idea. Let's, let's, um, let's give it a go and maybe one day we'll get a new van for Brisbane and, you know, we'll just keep it pretty in the backyard um, in our own backyard sort of thing, supporting people. And then, yeah, like I mentioned, we did the first wash. We chucked a few photos up on social media. We did a little bit of media as well. And then all of a sudden had this massive influx of people from all around the country and, and the world saying, we need this in our city. How can we make it happen? And, and that might be someone who, you know, lived and was looking to use a service like that. It might have been someone who's keen to volunteer or it might have been someone who's keen to support it as, as well. So yeah, we had this like explosion of people wanting to, to reach out and support. And, and I can remember after about six months, my mum, who was, who was pretty heavily involved and, and as was Nick's mum early on, as, as you do when you're starting anything, you need good <laughs> advice and trusted people. So I'm um, start with mum and, and she was like, okay, boys, we need to stop stuffing around. We're going to write, write a business plan. And, you know, we need to actually take this a bit more seriously and start leveling up. And, and I remember she, she wrote the whole thing. Um, like good mum's doing, doing assignments for us. Um, and she wrote, you know, we're going to put 10 vans on the road and we're going to raise a million dollars in the next 12 months. And then Nick and I were like, there is no bloody way that that's going to happen. Um, we're just sort of wheeling and dealing, just figuring it, figuring it out as we go along and, and just, you know, just really just flying by the seat of our pants. And as we closed that year out, we'd actually hit about 60% over that in revenue and an extra three bands. So we went from one to 13 bands in that year. And, and so all of a sudden we had this moment of like, oh, wow, like we're actually, this is the trajectory that we're setting and, and growing for the future as well. So yeah, I think never thought it would, but then early on we had these really early signs that we could really take it and scale it to where it is now. Yeah, yeah. And as things um, grew and expanded, you mentioned the first year you got up to 16 vans. And obviously there's a lot more people, a lot more logistics, a lot more organisation involved. But you have growing pains on the way? Yeah, absolutely. And we're still having them now. Um, I think every, especially in those early days, like every new service you add or every new team member, it's almost like you're starting again and you've got to redefine the org structure and where everyone fits in and how it, how it grows and, and scales as well. And when you're four people in a room managing a whole 
team of you know a couple hundred volunteers versus where we are now like it's really you need to keep evolving and, and changing that um so i think definitely had big scaling challenges from from the start i think a really key time was when we launched into melbourne which is our third third service the first two was brisbane and the gold coast so relatively close to home and mm-hmm. had some funding interest in melbourne we said oh, okay let's let's give it a go and i think it was a we had a really defined start and end date in terms of well we had a flight we drove the van down and we had a flight out um and we had to essentially build this service and hand the keys over to someone before we left in the same way that before we left brisbane we had to hand the keys over to, to a local team of volunteers and that was a really key decision we made early on was around having volunteer led and run services so i'm um, still to, to say we don't have a, a, a staff member in melbourne but we've got multiple services in, in Melbourne and that's really led and run by by the community. So yeah, definitely had those those moments. But we went into Melbourne, had an end date of about a month that we had to be back. I had to be back to the uni actually, I think it was. And um over that time we're able to build the service, bring volunteers on and then let it really start to be locally owned and operated. And saying that we had lots of challenges within that, but proud to say that yeah, seven, eight years on now the Melbourne service still still pumping. And as um, you grew, what did you yourself and Nick think about culture? And, you know, you worked a lot with volunteers. What did you want them to do or to represent? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. We had lots of lessons early on in that space. And I think early on we did all the training face-to-face, either Nick or I or both of us run it, ran it together. And so I think envisaging that and really putting out there you know what we want from from volunteers is really really important um but also we needed to very quickly realize that it couldn't just be all this like word of spoken word sort of thing like we need to start articulating and work it through i think the really interesting thing with volunteers like of our three thousand volunteers the majority of them which would be in the 80 or 90 percent mark um their time commitment to iron skies two hours a fortnight so I think that's really important when we're when we're thinking about volunteers is that mm. it's not a staff member that you know this is a significant part of their every day. It's actually a a significant part of their life, but it's only once a fortnight or once a week that they might be might be doing it. So from their perspective, they don't want to learn mission, vision, values, all these all these like all these things that are obviously really important from an organizational perspective. But mm. actually, it's it's a I believe it's an unrealistic expectation that you have thousands of volunteers memorizing all these different things mm-hmm. and the, the thing that i think has really stood the test of time and something i'm really proud of in our volunteer community when we think about culture one i think it's probably the third or fourth slide of our training and it's still a key part of our training and it goes up on the screen always get some giggles where it says we're not fans of the, of the c word but we love the f word <laughs> and, and then everyone sort of like has a bit of a giggle and then the c word is clients and customers and the f word is friends and so and that's the lesson of well that's what we call the people that use our service is friends and i think that that simple language really like again it's impossible to get 100 percent, but i'd say 90 percent of our volunteers have that really ingrained and when i met whenever i'm at ship talking about oh you know this friend did this and and x y and z and i think but just that one word really articulates like the service we want to provide who we are as an organization and it's not this power dynamic we're delivering something and you owe us something or, or vice versa it's really like mm-hmm. a, a mutually beneficial like service that we're providing and mm-hmm. so volunteers i don't think 
many could recite our, our, our mission or, or values, but they, they know the word friends. And I think that that was something that we definitely fluked early on of like mm. had it in there. It was memorable. It was kind of laugh, got a laugh so people remembered it, but yeah. um, has translated into the test of time really well. I love that as well. It sort of, um, yeah, just Im- implies that there is that sort of connection, care, wanting to take care of others. And, um, you know, one word can mean a lot. And I love the way that you position it. What was on that slide again? We're not fans of the C word, but we love that S word. <laughs> right. It's the clients and customers, C word, F's being friends. That's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And that, and that was born out of Nick and I going to lots of services early on and and hearing people talk about customers or patrons or clients. And, and it just it inherently puts this power imbalance in of like, hey, you're receiving something from us and we're giving it to you and you'll take it. Um, and I think that that was something that we didn't want to we didn't want to embed from the start because yes, there is, and there still is this power imbalance, but how do we actually moderate that as much as we, we can? Yeah. And in those first couple of years, what were some of the key things that you learned from your friends, the people that you served? Good question. I think there's so many assumptions about people experiencing homelessness or doing it tough. And now, even now where we never use the word homeless because that's a label and it's homelessness. Experiencing homelessness should be a temporary state. Um, but even now that definition is expanding to even more so hardship and we're seeing more people than ever before engaging with our services and coming to us and, and they don't see Orange Sky as a homelessness service. They see us as a support service for mm. people. And that's, you know, arguably you're playing further up the line of people that are struggling to make ends meet and their budget's sort of getting a bit bit more and more challenged every week and so we can play a part in that and then obviously we can play a part in someone who's rough sleeping as as well so it's sort of that spectrum duly expanding um and rough sleeping in australia is only six percent of the homelessness statistics so like there's a a huge misconception about about um homelessness in australia so i think from our friends the key things was a general sense of misunderstanding or judgment i think from the broader community and and orange sky being a real disruptor in that sense of going well the volunteers just here they're all friendly i can come along have a chat but also i'm not forced to have a chat and i'm not forced to sign anything or, or sign up to anything it's really this this non-hierarchical um community of people coming coming together so i think the positive response we got that was really really important um and also that it takes a lot for people to reach out for support though mm-hmm. actually there is a inherent price of yeah, inherent price of actually saying I need help. And and so I think when you've got homeless written on the side of your vans or whatever, it actually like makes that even harder and puts puts even greater barriers up. So I think um, that's probably some of the, the things I learned pretty early on is and then also how quickly it can happen. You know, so Jordan, he was an engineer, works in big firms, had a medical bill, fell short with his rent and all of a sudden was out on the streets so and didn't have that family support network around him and that that's such a common thing that was I've seen for, for nine years and, and it's been exacerbated by different reasons. The last six months has been around cost of living and rental crisis, but it's a consistent one or two little things happen and then all of a sudden you don't have that support network and you're out, out on your own. Yeah. I saw one of your promotional videos and it talked about, you know, a lot of people walk past those that are homeless or are sitting on the street or have a, a cup out for donations 
What would you say to people? What, firstly, why do you think there is that reluctance to engage? And what advice would you give to people uh, from your experience now? Yeah, it's, a, it's another really tough one. And, and I think that's part of the people's stereotypes and stigmas are, are built from the five people you might walk past on your way to work or off the train or whatever it might be. And um, that can be really confronting and challenging challenging experience um i think what i always say is and what i always personally do is actually just acknowledge and look someone in the eye and say good day and that doesn't mean i need to stop and have a big big chat or anything but actually for someone who is in that position then sometimes that can um, be, be powerful i'm not someone who personally um like will um give given those situations but i think it's actually um about acknowledgement and and potentially even having that conversation as well. When I have stopped in the past, I know that, you know, speaking of some of the majority of people have heard or know about Orange Sky because um, in those communities that we operate, they're pretty small communities um, in the grand scheme of things. So um, it's a good good conversation started, especially if I'm wearing a shirt or hoodie as well. Yes, definitely, definitely. Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. First resource is a building a mentally healthy culture checklist, which contains all the elements that you'll need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster. This provides guidance about how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the are you okay conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. How do you and Nick um, manage your week? How do you split up what you do? Yeah, that's taken lots of lots of different forms over the last um, nine years, but about Two and a half years ago now, we made a definite split in our role. So prior to that, in the last form, we were joint managing directors, whereas now I've stepped into CEO role and Nick stepped into um, what we call Chief Delta Officer, which essentially is new projects and innovations um, for, for our own sky. So that's anything from we've just rolled out a um, suite of upgrades across all our events to operate off solar and battery powered, and we've been able to do that by essentially inventing our own clothes dryer. And so something like that started life in Nick's head, which then went to prototype to design to then to then scale up. So as, as an example of those those things that we do, my role now is taken up with um, a good chunk of time sort of working with the team in terms of our key teams being that Delta innovation team, um, our marketing fundraising team, our operations team, and then our sort of corporate support team as well. Um, which so my week's always varied, um, which is which is always always good fun, um, and then spend a good chunk of time as well from an external perspective in terms of like philanthropic um, relationships and, and a big corporate relationships and stuff as well. So kind of go where go where needed. Um, and then Nick and I still have a good chunk of kind of shared co-founder duties, which um, things like media and stuff like that that we'll kind of do, do together or split, divide and conquer as well. So, yeah, the weeks are all pretty varied. We're lucky enough that we've got an awesome team in place that handles a lot of what we do, but then, um, so I need to come back to me as CEOs at the moment um, or, or Nick and his roles. How many um, employees do you have, full-time employees? About about 50. 50. 
Yeah, that's yeah. that's a that's a job in itself. Fifty employees, yeah. and and also, you know, they oversee three thousand volunteers. So there's lots yeah. of moving parts, lots of moving parts. Yeah. Never, we're never short of a, uh, a interesting scenario. I'd say uh, when you've got <laughs> that many people doing doing stuff in in far reaching places. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what were you know when you think about your journey now from you know just one van to 50 star, 3,000 volunteers. What have been some of the setbacks and real hardships along the way? Yeah, I think there's been plenty. Um, if I think about the biggest one or like the toughest day I had at Orange Sky was was definitely a March 2020 when we when all the the whole world was changing really rapidly. There's millions bits of advice flying around. Everyone's kind of doing doing different things, and then we made a decision as a leadership team to press pause on our shifts across Australia and New Zealand. So went from doing about 900,000 shifts a month to zero um, wow. overnight, which is a, which then you go, hey, we've got at that point about 2,000 volunteers, thousands of friends that are relying on us, and then all of a sudden we've had to make that decision from a health and safety and, and, and community perspective, which for an organisation that was that's built on people from all walks of life congregating in public spaces for Couple of hours, then the pandemic was was really a really challenging time for us. I think, um, yeah, that was definitely one of the one of the toughest times. And then the really two and a bit years, but probably that first six months from a team and leadership perspective was one of those fastest times of growth and learning that I've had. But also um, being able to navigate through with the with our team as well. Have you had any good uh, you know mentors or advisors that have? You've been able to bounce ideas off and and come away with some new thoughts. Yeah, pl- plenty. And, and again, it's been interesting thinking back over that time of you know over the last nine years, we've had plenty of different ones who've played different roles. And I think as we've been able to scale, you almost need to bring those different people for different parts of that journey because obviously some people are really in that startup and, and scale up world and others are in that more refinement and growth and, and evolution phase as well. So yeah, had been lucky enough to have plenty of um, awesome people in our networks. I think one from a staff and internal team, like really, I think one of Nick and my great, I'll call it a fluke, but we've fluked it a few times now, which is, which has been good of saying, well, hey, we've actually hit our capability or capacity in whatever role that we were playing because that, at some point, we played every single role at Iron Sky, and and at some point, we go. I think this is getting a bit beyond kind of what I can find on the internet, or what I can sort of self teach, or what I can ask people for advice on. So I need to get that next person in to help. So if that was, you know, from me doing our first cash flows to then bringing in obviously more qualified and capable people of doing that stuff, and that and that example applies across pretty much everything at Iron Sky. So I think that ability to. Um, know when we're kind of hitting our capability and, and capacity limit. And, and a good example of that more recently is um, from a board perspective, we'd obviously growing quite rapidly, mm. started time. It was like a family and friends or like people, one degree of separation away from us that could help us get established. But as we started to get to you know, millions of dollars of donations and thousands of volunteers, we needed to really level level that up. So for instance, our, our current board chair, Andrew Fraser, been a tremendous mentor for, for me personally over the last three and a half, four years since he's been, been with us. And that has really helped us to level up, mature and, and grow um, as well. And I think that was symptomatic of us also having that moment of going, oh, crap, we need to like 
we need to evolve and we need to, to grow as well. Mm. I was um, involved in helping to start Grow Are You Okay? So I have some perspective about <laughs> the mad running you have to do and the juggling and, um, you know, firefighting and, 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 that, um, and that sort of thing. Where were your donations coming from? Yeah, again, that's, that evol- that's evolved over time in the very early days. Like in our first month, it was purely just people online donating 20 bucks or 30 bucks in almost like a crowdfunding um, source. As we started to mature a little bit, we started to get the really early adopter, like small trusts and foundations and, and slightly larger, larger gigs. And then the next evolution was really more corporate support once we kind of grown a bit more of a footprint and, and grown that. Um, and then at the same time, those other streams sort of growing alongside that. So now the split is pretty, pretty much, um, a four-way split between corporate philanthropy, um, everyday people just giving trust and then community fundraising. And then there's bits and pieces of other ones, but yes, powered by the community for the community in, in, um, in more ways than one. How do you look after your own self-care? How do you keep fuel in your tank? Yeah, it's, I think, multiple ways. I think from a, from a work sense, I think the biggest challenge we have is that we're dealing with a really wicked problem and we're working in a really tough space and there's lots of sadness and, and, um, despair in, in, in working in the space we, that we work in. So I think for us as anyone, as a volunteer, as a staff member, it's about knowing our place in that doing the best that we can within now, patching within our resources and not getting too overwhelmed or overburdened by the whole whole challenge, but also that the scope of that change. So for instance, for me personally, when we're just trialling a van in Brisbane to where we are now, like that's a different um, scope and different um, scale in terms of what that challenge is. And in terms of actual practical things I do, like I love to exercise. Um, so go out for a run, clear my head, go to the gym um, to as my sort of put my headphones in and just have it as purely as me. So I'm not a very social person in, in that that way. Um, and then outside of that, probably love to cook, love to hang out with mates and go to live music and gigs and stuff like that. So I think a big thing for me is balance within all of that. So Orange Sky consumes a lot of my life and I give a lot of my life to Orange Sky, but that's because I want to and I, I love to, but also that means a bit of give and take of some weeks. It might be a bit crazy, other weeks it might be a bit more um, I might have a bit more time to pop out during the middle of the day to go to the gym or, or whatever it might be. So I think that that balance is really important to me and, and that's something I try and uh, embed with my team and, and our teams as well to go, what does balance look like for you? And I think that's the other part is that that's so personal because some people like to walk out the door and not think about or talk about work. Other people want to leave early, jump back on later after they've cooked dinner for the kids and might clean some stuff up then and that helps them get to sleep because they want to get it out of their head. Other people, you know, want a bit more of an, an, a wishy-washy kind of fluid boundaries as well. So I think that actually having that conversation, doing that rapport and understanding early on. For me, I'm a bit of a chameleon, I think. Of, it probably depends on the week and the time and the um, what's happening in, in the world. So um, try and just do what I know and ultimately I know that I'm the only person that can rebalance and set that as well. So um, try, and, try and live that. When um, we started Are You Okay? It was uh, Gavin Larkin who, he was the founder, the idea person, had the 
slogan that a conversation could make a could change a life, which I you know has been sensational. But in that first couple of years, some of the traditional mental health charities viewed us with a lot of caution. You know, they they thought that we didn't have psychologists or, you know, mental health professionals as part of the group. And a couple of the biggest brands, um, you know, didn't want to be involved in in collaborating in that in that first uh, in that first year or two. Did you have any pushback from some of the other charities that work in the homeless space? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and it typically will come back to dollars, I think, of when there's a threat to someone's funding or when there's a perception that you're taking funding away from from them. Like that's, I think people, when I've seen people at their worst in terms of going on the offensive about, about our own sky, where, where firm believes in there's no competition with helping people and actually we just need to work more effectively together, but that hasn't held true or doesn't hold true for every organisation. I think also mm. in the homelessness space, and we, we were in that market to start with, there's a lot of things that start and a lot of cool ideas that then either drift away and, and move into nothing. So you're really well-established charities who have been doing this, working in the space for years and years, have kind of seen the the spike of interest and all of a sudden, you know, we used to, we used to go to Martin Place in Sydney and once a month some random person walking past would go and buy 30 pizzas and hand them out and just be like a, a hit of sugar, bit of sugar hit of helping. Um, but then how does that actually fit into the broader picture and evolve and, and all this sort of thing? So, yeah, we, we absolutely had that. In the start, I'm happy to say, like, we're, we get less and less of that. We've now got people more um, trying to reach out and, and partner more effectively with us as well. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like I said, when there's funding and um, people view it from a competitive perspective, um, and that's part of the reason we've sort of stuck with the privately funded, like we're not playing too much in the government space. We've had a bit of government funding in the past, but um, we're not playing too much in that space. And it's because that's, I think, where it does get quite challenging across different areas and groups and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So you've had, uh, you and I have had some great achievements. Uh, obviously, 2016, Young Australians of the Year, and um, and then 2020, Order of Australia, uh, you've you got that because you've helped you know thousands of people through your volunteer network. What else do you feel? Is there any other areas that you're really proud of besides those those huge things? But is there anything else that you feel grateful or proud about? Yeah, I think there's always this guilt factor when you're getting you know significant awards like that that. We always say we're just the idiots that started this and thought of it originally and then made it happen. Um, and now there's, like I mentioned at the start, there's 3,000 people a week. Like we can't be in 40 locations at once delivering that. So I think the thing I'm proud of is that kind of movement that we've created, that connection that people have to what we do and the magic that happened out on shift. And I'm lucky enough to still around shift. I was down last week in, in Sydney and Melbourne and, and going to a place that I'd never been before, that every week an Orange Sky Band rocks up with three volunteers and they help people in that community and being like, that happens weekly, you know, 300 times a week, which is a, a really cool um, moment that you sort of pinch yourself moment of going, yeah, that's a, a pretty special thing that, that we've been part of. And I think the proudest, things I have, proudest moments I have is when, 
you see something that you started and maybe did a bad job at and someone else has come in, stripped it back, rebuilt it and made it so much better and more effective and, and then scaled that across the across the, the country as well. So I think um, that's definitely something that I'm super proud of. And then the other part is now as well having a few more people working on different trials and projects that we're looking at of saying how do we help more people or how do we help more people effectively um, and that not starting from our brains but then being other people bringing that to the table to and then volunteers and people getting and donors getting excited about delivering that as well so yeah, i think lots lots to be proud of um and i'm lucky enough to have yeah, an, an awesome team that helps make it happen you mentioned uh that you know you feel really proud of something that you've tried and hasn't worked out but someone else has looked at it re-examined it and made a success of it can you think of an example of that yeah, sure. We, um, our second service, we actually were going to launch up in Cairns and, um, Cairns has got the second highest rate of homelessness in Australia after Brisbane. Oh, actually, no, no, sorry. I think it's, don't quote me specifically on this. It's, I think it's highest in Queensland, um, Cairns, um, not, not in Australia. Um, it's one or two in, in anyway. So we started in Brisbane. We're like, cool. The next spot, we don't want to go too far. You know, Cairns is as far as Melbourne is away from Brisbane, uh, but we, you know, we're still figuring out geography. Went up there, knew no one. It was a bloody slog. We couldn't get established. Um, sort of couldn't quite find the right operating rhythm and, and stuff for us to to get in. Um, and then the cyclone hit in Rockhampton. This is 2015, and so we said, "Well, we're not making too much progress here. Let's go to the cyclone and see if we can help more people." People there went there, went to the cyclone, and, and then came back to Brisbane. And then that band actually went started going to the Gold Coast instead of. Being up in Cairns, so that was kind of the. No, we couldn't couldn't make this happen. Um, fast forward four years, I believe it took, and we'd sort of established in lots more locations. Um, we sort of built a bit more credibility and a bit more ability to deliver, and um, then we had a got funding and, and started the van up in in Cairns. And I remember just going in for like launch day, doing some media and, and chatting to a few other people, and then. Seeing that, hey, well, a few of the places that we spoke to four or five years ago that might not not have been as supportive were now partnering with us and really keen for us to, to make it happen. So it was sort of this, I think, cool reflection of one, the team did a much better job of setting it up. Two, we kind of evolved past that point as an organization where more people could, could be a part of as well. Same. And I think the cyclone, which I touched on, there's a similar example where first one we did, we just rolled in, went to some houses that looked like they were struggling and, and said, how can we help? And now that's actually part of an activation from depending on the state, the government or, or different groups that actually bring us into those conversations. And then we mobilize in a really um, collaborative way, which again, from being like, we're not having food in Kansas, pack up and, and go to Rocky um, has shifted significantly. And, and that's been at, with us at arm's length and, and the team is really running with us. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, Lucas, and, um, you know, just amazing what you and Nick have grown and achieved and um, full of uh, admiration uh, for, you know, all those milestones along the way. But I always finish by asking people, knowing what you know now, what advice would have you given your 18-year-old self just when you were talking about that first van, just talking about it, what advice would you give yourself if you go back and share the wisdom you now have. Yeah, I think it's lucky enough that it wasn't too long ago, which is um, which is nice, and we were able to start not too long after. I think 
when I reflect on it now, we had this perfect mix of naivety and let's just give it a go and kind of we weren't didn't have kids or don't have kids or more mortgage or anything like that. So it was almost this like risk-free bet and and then we very much had the attitude, especially for those first couple of years, of just saying yes to everything. And it was just a easier to say yes and give it a go than say no and try and figure out a different way to, to do something. So I think advice to 18-year-old Lucas is to um, listen to those instincts around, hey, let's give it a crack and go into it blissfully naive, I'll say, um, to to then because you never know where that's going to happen, where that's going to take you. And I think I love the, the Steve Jobs um, speech that he did um, where he says you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And I think now looking back and going, oh, well, when we did this and how that fits in here and how that works and, and how that's evolved and grow. Whereas at the time you go, oh, could be could turn into something. Let's let's give it a go. And not every time, but most of the time it, it turns into something or adds to that experience, which then shapes shapes you moving forward as well. So um, that was that was long winded advice. Sorry, but uh, hopefully eighteen uh, year old Lucas um, listen listen. <laughs> Great um, suggestions and insights. And thanks very much, Lucas, for being part of the Caring CEO. I very much enjoyed our, our chat. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today. And we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.